Morning, everyone. Morning, and very welcome to our service this morning. And I must admit, it's good to be back here. And thank you very much for uh, all your prayers for Elaine and myself uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, but it's lovely to be out again, and thank you for your support. I'd like to thank Alvin Little and John Honeyford and Walter McCorkle for standing in for me. Um, they did a tremendous job. I was watching them online, and I was very encouraged. The next meeting of the Congregational Committee will be held on Tuesday the 25th of April at half past seven. Next Saturday the 29th of April, we'll have the latest car boot sale running from nine o'clock in the morning to one o'clock. Next Sunday, we have in the morning our family service. It's gonna be, you'll have your wee flyer uh, in your order of service. Crown Jesus Ministries, they're a youth organization. They're coming to take part in the service. They're taking about half of the service. And uh, I'll let you into a wee secret. There are puppets coming next week. So please invite friends, family, grandparents, especially children, along next, next Sunday. They'll certainly enjoy it. Um, okay. And then in the evening next Sunday at half past seven, we'll have Life Lounge when our guest will be Jenny Clegg. And the worship will be led once again by Waiting for Sophie. And we hope you can come along to that. And now I just want to uh, give uh, Pat Woods a wee uh, spot here. She has an announcement. Good morning, everyone. Um, as you will already have seen from the screens rotating before the service, the Kirk Session and Committee are having a coronation celebration party on Monday the 8th of May. It will run from 12.30 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. and you're all warmly invited to come to the party and to bring your family, your friends and your neighbours to celebrate with us. There will be a range of fun things for children and adults to enjoy, including the ever popular bouncy castles, two puppet shows by Sam Shaw, who's visited us now on a number of occasions. There'll be a penalty shoot and for the first time, a tug of war. There will also be live musical entertainment from various artists taking place throughout the time. We will have hot dogs, tea, coffee and scones, all prepared by your favourite chefs. William's over there and he's getting ready. And there will also be an ice cream van on the premises. So if you're not counting your calories, you can certainly indulge yourself with an ice cream I'm reliably told it's going to be the hottest, sunniest day of the year so far, so be prepared. We've flyers for everyone to give to your family, neighbours and friends. They'll be available next week just to help us promote the event and encourage folk to attend. You'll also have seen on the screens um, before the service started there announcement about gazebos. If you can help us with the loan of a gazebo on the day, Please speak to Jim McKnight after the service. We'd be very grateful for that. Just want to say this morning, this is a community outreach event. It's not something that we're planning purely for our own entertainment, but it is something that we're doing for and with the community out there 
to witness for Christ and to build Christian relationships with our friends and neighbours. It's an opportunity to meet and welcome members of the community into our church family, those who are not linked with Ballycrochan in any way. We will have leaflets on the day to give to everyone, telling them what Ballycrochan Church is all about and assuring them that we're here to help them and to serve them in any way we can. Please plan to come along. Put the date in your diary. Be an ambassador for Christ and for Ballycrochan in this community. God has placed us here to serve him. Thank you. Pat, I just want to start our service by reading uh, a well-known passage from Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The service today is, a, is about, a, a very much about serving, about having the attitude of Christ who left everything behind, came and served, and how he's teaching us uh, to do likewise. So let's just pray a wee moment. Father, we just want to draw near to you. We're told in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Father, I pray, God, that in our worship that we might draw near to you, that our hearts might be lifted up to you, that our hearts might enthrone you this morning, that, Father, we might feel your presence in our midst, that, Lord, that you would touch us, that you would anoint us, that you would encourage us, that, Lord, that we would go out of here feeling stronger and knowing that we have met with you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing, There is a Higher Throne.
front a wee minute if they want to come to the front any boys and girls want to come to the front don't leave me standing up here all lonely <laughs> great it's good to see us okay I want to read you a story you're right. I want to read you a story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And it's John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Okay? John 13, 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to his Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loves us to the end, doesn't he? The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to do what? began to wash his disciples' feet, oh, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, Peter, but later you'll understand. And Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, he said, Now, not just my feet, not just my feet, my head and my hands as well. And Jesus answered, Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, because he knew who was going to betray him. Who was that? Judas. And that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. You call me Lord. And rightly so, for that's what I am. But now that I am your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet. I want you also to wash one another's feet. Do you want to wash my feet this morning? No, I'm sure you don't. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, what I want to do is, let me see your shoes. I want to inspect your shoes. What beautiful, you've got very glittery shoes. They're beautiful shoes. Sports shoes. Oh, they're lovely rainbow shoes. They are beautiful shoes. Do you know what? Back in the day, now, what other types of shoes can you have? Yeah? 
You can have sandals. What other types of shoes? I have shoes for coming to church. Yes? You can have boots. Good. Boots for climbing mountains with spikes in them. Or what do you do? Yeah. What do you do if you're working in the garden? What have you got them? Old shoes. Good. Yes. Old shoes. Or what about wellies? Anybody got wellies? You don't have wellies. I have to get you a pair of wellies. That's for working in the garden. Yes. You have wellies. Glad to hear it. Anybody got football boots? Football boots. What have they got on the bottom of them? They've got studs to so you don't fall over. Anything else? What about ballet shoes? I left my ballet shoes in the house. Anybody got ballet shoes? Dance shoes, tap dancing. All sorts of shoes. But see back in the New Testament days, they only really had one pair of shoes like these. Have we look? Sandals. It was so hot that they didn't wear socks. Most, a lot of people didn't, couldn't afford to have shoes, so they walked bare feet. But those that did had sandals. And that, those sandals that have been used if you were climbing a mountain, if you were working on a farm, if you are working in the garden, if you are going for a walk, the same sort of shoes were used back then. Do you know somebody estimated that Jesus, in three years, during his ministry, when he's walking over Israel, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, uh, up, up into the Galilee, all that, the, the worked out that roughly Jesus would have walked 3,125 miles over three years. Because there was no buses, no trains. Well, anyway, what I read to you there was just before Jesus was going to be arrested, he came into Jerusalem for the last time to celebrate the, what's known as the Passover. And that's to celebrate how God had taken the people from Egypt and brought them to freedom in Canaan. Now, listen. Uh, whenever you go into a house in Israel, this is what I want you to listen to. See, when you go into a house in Israel... Just like coming into one of our houses, we get a cup of tea. Usually somebody will say, do you want a wee cup of tea? Over there in the New Testament days, when you come into somebody's house, they would anoint you with oil to welcome you, and then someone would wash your feet. Because this particular time, at Passover time, there were thousands, thousands of sheep, thousands of goats, Thousands of different animals. It was poop everywhere, to be honest. And so they were walking in those shoes through Jerusalem, and their feet were like dogs. It was awful, awful smelling, like sheep. And whenever, whenever you'd arrive in somebody's house, the first thing they would do would be to clean your feet. Now, Jesus told Peter, go and find a room where we can celebrate the Passover. And Peter went and found this room. And whenever they arrived at this room, normally the person, the ser a servant, would wash your feet. If a servant's not there, then there would have been the owner of the house. But the owner of the house had just left the house for Jesus. There was no servant. Who was going to wash all these disciples' dirty feet? Well, they sat down for a meal, and Peter knew, everyone knew, we should be washing our feet. They were stinking, they were smelly, they were awful, but they were all thinking, I'm not doing it. 
good grief, I'm not washing somebody's feet. That's below me. I'm not doing that. And they sat down, and they were eating their meal with all the smell. And it was disgusting. And then, during the meal, have you ever felt really embarrassed? Yeah. Have you ever felt really embarrassed or ashamed? Because during the meal, what does Jesus do? Jesus gets up from the meal. He puts a towel around his waist. He gets a basin, and he starts to wash their feet. The Son of God starts to wash the feet of the disciples. And Peter feels ashamed. And whenever he comes to Peter, Peter goes, there's no way you're going to wash my feet. That's ridiculous. And Jesus said, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you're not my friend. I want to wash your feet because I want to serve you because that's what service is about. It's about, I love you, and I want to serve you. You know, boys and girls, um, that's why, let me see if I get this wee picture for you. That's why we, we talk about Jesus at the supper, washing his disciples' feet and saying, I want to show you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve others. Now, boys and girls, before that chapter comes, earlier in Matthew, there's a woman of two of the disciples, and she says to Jesus, come here a wee minute, Jesus, can I have a chat with you? And it's the mother of James and John, two of the disciples, and she says, listen, my two boys are really good boys, aren't they? They're really good boys. They're lovely boys. Jesus, would it be possible that when you go to be in heaven, in your kingdom, that when you sit down on the throne, would you put James on one side and John on the other side? Give them really important positions. And Jesus says, that's not up for me to do. That's for the Father. But the other disciples heard this conversation, and they got really angry, about, argued about who's going to be the greatest. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you know, in this world, you tend to have kings, and you have servants who bow down before kings, and you have maybe employers who are really important, and you have got the, the people that work under them. You've got the rich and the poor, and the rich look down on the poor. Jesus says, that's not how it's going to be in the kingdom of God. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to serve, and that's what I'm doing. Boys and girls, I want to ask you a wee question here because it's from my own experience, from being at school and that. Listen, do you ever... It's very easy to, to, to mistreat people. And um, you, might, you might think to yourself, I'm smarter than him, or I'm smarter than her. And you might look down on them and treat them differently and not allow them in your wee group. Or you might think, I'm better at football or sport than him and you might mistreat them and look down on them, or I have more money than him, or I'm better at maths than him, or English than him, and you might look down on them and mistreat them and not allow them in your weak group. Jesus is saying, that's not what the kingdom of God is like. He says, what you need to be doing is those people that feel left out, serve them, love them, because that's what the kingdom of God is about. Do, uh, do you know what, boys and girls? There was a wee boy I remember back in our school, and he's a wee bit different. And 
he got an awful lot of bullying every day. I don't know how he stuck it. He didn't do anybody any harm at all. He just was a wee bit different. And he took an awful lot of bullying. And Jesus says, you know, it's not going to be like that in the kingdom of God. People that need more encouragement and more love, people that are a wee bit different, they should be loved and cared for and supported. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I want to wash your feet. Even I, I didn't, even the Son of God, he says, I didn't come to be served by other people. I came to serve you. And the main thing, he says, he goes on to say, the biggest thing I serve you in is dying for you on the cross so that you can come and be with me forever. I have a little video here that I'll explain it maybe a wee bit easier for you about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Stories of the Bible. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This is Jesus. Heyo! Who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love. He healed many people from their sickness, performed many miracles like calming storms, and even raised people from the dead. At this time, the Jewish people were celebrating a festival called Passover that had been celebrated since the time of Moses when God brought his people out of Egypt. So Jesus and his disciples went to Jerusalem to celebrate. Jesus had 12 men who followed him through his ministry. They were called his disciples. Jesus and his disciples gathered for one final meal together. Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, and began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus loved his disciples, and he knew the time was coming for him to leave them and return to heaven. When Jesus came to Peter, he said, Whoa, 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 wait! Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, You don't understand what I'm doing now, but someday you will. Peter said, you will never wash my feet. But Jesus then told him that unless he washed his feet, he would not belong to him. Oh, well then, okay. Then Peter said, then wash my hands and head as well, not just my feet. But Jesus told him that was not necessary. He just needed to wash his feet for Peter to become clean. So Jesus finished washing their feet and said that the disciples should do to others as he had done for them. He told them to follow the example that he had set for them to serve each other and not think of themselves as greater than any other. Then God would bless them for doing as Jesus had taught them to do. A children's hymn. I know that Sunday Club know this song, and I'm going to ask. I think there's maybe a couple from Sunday Club coming. Uh, well, Amy's coming anyway, so <laughs> uh, she's going to. I think we've done this once before. Uh, it's, hey, Jesus loves you. Do you know that one? 
Yeah, and Amy knows the action, so I'm going to hand over to Amy.
brilliant. So off they go to Sunday Club. Make sure you bring plenty of folk next week. The puppets will be here. We'll have a bit of fun. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our leadership in our church, for the Kirk Session and Church Committee. We pray God continue to give us the strength and wisdom to serve this congregation. Give us hearts to seek you and to seek your way forward. Fill our hearts with faith in what you want to do and what you want to, to, this place to be. Nothing is impossible with you, Lord. Increase our understanding of what a great God you are and excite our hearts with expectation. Father, we pray for every youth leader. We, we thank you for them and their faithfulness in serving week by week. Give them, Lord, a rest over the summer but as they rest, we pray that you would inspire them with ideas for next September. We pray help each leader as they teach the word of God week by week. I pray that it may be a good foundation for the children and for our young people as they grow up and have to face perhaps some tough times ahead. Father, we also pray for our home groups, the men's fellowship and the men's Bible study. We pray that there may be such a, a sense of close fellowship within them anoint the teaching of the Word of God week by week. Thank you, Lord, for those who lead, and please excite hearts and increase faith as your Word is shared each week. Father, I thank you for every person in our congregation. We are a body, and we cherish every part. We thank you for the gifts you have given to people. We pray that these gifts may be used to edify, to build up the body of Christ, to build up this congregation. We thank you that there is absolutely no one in our church who is insignificant. Many of the essential gifts in this place are gifts that people have who are rarely recognized as they work diligently in the background. We thank you for what each person brings. We thank you for what many have brought in the past and perhaps now, with ill health, they find themselves trapped in their homes. We thank you for the work that they have done, and may we honor them by carrying on the work which they had begun. Father, we pray particularly for this coronation event. May it be an opportunity to serve and bring Christ to our community. May it be offered with love and kindness, we pray that your hand would be upon all of the organizing and in the delivery on the day that it might be um, a light of hope and encouragement to those who live in this area. We thank you for the people you've put on our doorstep, people you have given to us, that we might share the gospel of hope in Jesus Christ. 
We ask these things in unison, Father, as we say together as a congregation the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing and worship God together as we sing, When Peace Like a River.
if you have a, a Bible there, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, um, verses 10 to 15. It's been a wee bit sporadic um, going through this wee series. All right, Billy. Really? Yeah. Hold on. Uh, just, it's been a wee bit sporadic going through this series, um, but getting back on track under the theme of the armor of God. Billy. As Mark said, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 15, subtitled, The Armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Amen. Thank you, Billy. Let's pray a moment. Father, we just pray that you would settle our hearts, that, Lord, that we might receive from you what you would want us to receive, that, God, you might give us encouragement if we need encouragement or challenge if we need challenge. We pray that we would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to each of us, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find that where, where my feet go, the rest of my body tend to follow. <laughs> if my feet go forward, my body goes forward, left, right, straight ahead. Um, my challenge this morning, really, from the outset, is that although we may be sincere in claiming, yes, Jesus has my heart, but does he have my feet? I want to follow the feet of Jesus this morning. I want to see where they lead us in the light of his footsteps, then we want to look at our own feet. Paul speaks of a piece of armor of God as having shod your feet with the gospel of peace. That's what we're going to be looking at. Um, what does that mean? Well, Jesus says in John 14, he says, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven and to finish his work. This is my motivation. To do my Father's will is my food. It's as important as food to me every day, to do my Father's will. That's what's on my heart. His heart is to do his Father's will. His, his feet will be led, would lead him to such people as with a woman at the well. His feet would lead him to Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. His feet would lead him to the blind man on the streets of Jericho. Doing the will of his father, listening to what his father wants him to do, and then doing it. So his feet being led all the time by that desire. So when it comes to his final journey to Jerusalem, 
It's the hardest journey his feet will ever have to make, but he knows he has to make it. See, in Luke 9, 51, Luke says that we're told, now it came to pass that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The prophet Isaiah, 800 years before, he wrote, he prophesied, uh, and the, the attitude of the Messiah would be one of complete and utter submission when he would be brought to be tortured in front of his enemies. He writes, I give my back to those who struck me, hit me on the back, my cheeks to those who they plucked out my beard, humiliated me. I did not hide my face from shame and from spitting as they spat on me. It's a tough and painful prospect, Jesus deciding, I need to go to the cross. It's a difficult one. It's difficult to get out of bed for that one, for that final journey. And and such a battle Jesus has for the whole duration of his whole ministry just to keep his eyes fixed on Calvary, just to keep his eyes fixed there. His ministry had only begun when Satan tempted him and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll make it really easy for you. I'll give you it all. Just bow down and worship me. Later in his ministry, when he spoke to his disciples about how he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and how he'd be arrested and humiliated and and put to death, Peter turns, takes him aside, and it actually says that that Peter rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? He says, Jesus is rebuked by Peter. He says, no way. There's no way that you are going to Jerusalem to die. I'll die first. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. It's a battle for Jesus from the morning, the moment he gets up in the morning to the time he goes to bed at night, every single day, a battle to keep his mind and his focus fixed on Calvary, a fight all the way. And I suspect that we're only told a fraction of the battles which he went through for those three years of ministry. But his feet led him into Jerusalem, His feet led him into Gethsemane, the garden, where he prays, not my will, but yours be done. You see, it's my very heart, it's my food that I do my Father's will. Father, is there any other way? I recognize there's not, so that way, your way, your will be done. It's a fight. And his feet, as you know, as we're looking at this over Easter, took him to the Sanhedrin, led him, his feet led him into Pilate's court. His feet led him to the torture chamber of the Roman guard. His feet led him up the Via Della Rosa to Calvary. And there as he hangs upon the cross, his feet move no more as they're kneeled in place. The journey of Jesus' feet over his ministry, ministering to people, walking 3,000 125 miles over his ministry to be in the places where his father wants him to be, attending to the people that his father wants him to attend to. You know, at any moment, 
up to that stage, you know, he could have called the whole thing off. You know, when they hurled insults at him, he could have called it off. When the soldiers punched at him relentlessly, he could have called the whole thing off. When the soldiers whipped his skin and took large chunks off his back, he could have called the whole thing off. He could have called it off before the nails finally went in. And yet we're told in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. I don't know, there's an old song that Gaithers used to sing, came to mind during the week. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. That's very true. You and I were that joy that was set before him, that helped him when he got up in the morning to focus on going to Calvary because the joy set before him was to see you and I saved, was to see you and I in that relationship with his father again. He was determined to do his father's will. Yes, Jesus has my heart. And I have no doubt about that. I've been challenged, I've been reading this, challenged myself greatly over this. Jesus has my heart, but does he have my feet? Is my heart to do his will? And if so, are my feet in line with what my heart desires? How firm are my feet in standing strong for Jesus Christ? How steadfast are my feet when it comes to walking in his will, even when it means standing against some of the values and morals in our world? Before Easter, we were looking at the spiritual battle that we are in as Christians. Paul reminds us that this isn't a fleshly battle. He says, we Do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness. And we see that in the life of Jesus in the Gospels. It's a battle every day to focus on Calvary, to get there. And Paul here, he gives us two essential requirements for such a battle that we've been looking at. One, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You cannot do it in your own strength. Secondly, put on the whole armor of God. You know, without these two things in place, we have lost the battle before we've even begun. The Roman soldier was a familiar sight throughout Jerusalem. And Paul, he was chained a Roman soldier um, in Rome. And he had plenty of time to study what they wore and to to choose to use this example of their armor as a way of teaching us how we may best equip ourselves against the powers of darkness, against dark spiritual forces. And we've looked so far at the belt of truth, the word of God, and the breastplate of righteousness, which is not our own righteousness, but is Christ's. We stand by the grace of God in his righteousness, and he took on our sin, And his breastplate of righteousness is connected into the belt of truth to the word of God. 
And today, I want to look at the third piece of armor, and it's regarding our feet. Paul writes in verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest leaders, one of the greatest generals in history. Whether you agree with what he did or not, he was an incredible general. Much of his success was down to being able to move his troops very quickly, uh, to be able to maneuver his enemy. Uh, he saw the need for speed, and he was able to place his troops quickly and unexpectedly and taken his enemy by surprise. And that was a big key in his success. So he recognized the needs for speed. So what he did was he designed a particular style of footwear for his troops. A sandal which was strapped to the leg so it couldn't move, uh, with hobnails or studs on the base of the sandal. It provided a firmness, it provided a steadiness, a bit like a football boot. And you could see it there, just the bottom picture there, the hobnails on it. And uh, something else that armies back in those days used to do, they used to chisel a long piece of wood and chisel a very sharp point on the end. Then they should, used to dig a hole in the ground, stick the piece of wood down so that the pointy part was just protruding through the ground. And the idea was it was a wee bit like an ancient, um, it was a wee bit like an ancient landmine. Um, a soldier running on the battlefield could easily stand on it. It could go through his foot. It could put him totally out of action. And uh, so a strong sandal is what Alexander the Great decided, and he decided for his army, a thick sole that would protect him, something with hobnails or spikes on the bottom, which would give him a good grip, his troops a good grip. Three or four centuries after Alexander the Great, the, army, the Roman army, they copied this sandal style. So Paul in verse 11, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, he says, and having done all to stand. And verse 14, he writes, stand therefore. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says something similar. He says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. And here in Ephesians, he says, and having shod your feet, having laced up your sandals with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Good footwear to be able to stand. So what does the word preparation then mean here? What does Paul mean by preparation? Well, John Wycliffe, he translates it in the words making ready. The RSV translates it equipping yourself or equipment for yourself. Paul is saying, prepare yourself, equip yourself, be steadfast, understand what the gospel is, prepare yourself um, in understanding the gospel. Now, what does it mean, the preparation of the gospel of peace? I have to point out there are actually two views on this. Um, one is that Paul is referring to being ready at all times to go and share the gospel. Be ready at all times to run and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you could quote for that, Isaiah 52 verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So that's one view that it's about 
being prepared, understand the gospel, that you can share it with others. Um, and as much as I have a heart for evangelism and we're called to be Christ's witnesses, I don't think this is what Paul is referring to here. If we look at the context, the context is about battle. It's about fighting. It's about armor. It's about the sword and the breastplate and the shield. I don't see evangelism as something which protects us in the fight. So I would go for the second view. We're to show at our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's a matter for our own defense. It's for our own defense. Preparing ourselves, equipping ourselves with an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we might be able to stand. It's what Christ's battled us his entire ministry for. It's what he died for, the gospel. Put the hobnail shoes on. Make sure that you lace them tight against your legs. Know where you stand when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be a good soldier, not sliding apart like somebody, some, like me in the morning when I go down for my breakfast and I've got my slippers or my slidey socks on. You'll be sliding about. He said, put on good footwear. Get your feet down into understanding what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and stand strong on it. Stand strong. Be firm. Be steadfast. You know, something I, I think is very important to realize is that, you know, Jesus doesn't call his disciples to go and just make other believers. Opening hearts to believe is the job of the Holy Spirit. There's no man, no matter how academic or intelligent he is, there's no man can work out how to reach God. It has to be the Holy Spirit who opens his heart, and that happens with the Holy Spirit. But once a person believes, the responsibility of Peter and James and John and Andrew is to make other disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. You're not just called to believe. You're called to be a disciple. And the word disciple means to be a student of or to be a learner. To be a student of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to a newfound faith in Jesus Christ, it's only the beginning. God is calling you into a journey of discipleship. To be a learner, to be a student of Christ. You know, I think we can very easily, and I have in the past, very easily and mistakenly, we rate the success of a church by its numbers. Yes, we all want to see many people coming in. Of course we do. But for me, the success of a church is down to the quality of its walk with God. Down to the quality of its walking with God, of us experience God in our midst on a daily, all day, on a daily basis knowing him in our lives and in our walk. We're to be his disciples. And you know, if you look through the history of Israel, it's always been among the remnant of God, those that remain, the small numbers that remain, that God begins to move. So just with respect this morning, may I ask you, and I ask myself this, and I think it's a question that often is buried under the sand and make assumptions about. Do you know what you believe?
talk about the gospel. Do you know what the gospel of peace is all about? Do you know why you believe? Have you got those shoes on that have got a good grip? Jesus' food, I said, was to do the will of his Father. And likewise for us, doing his will must be as important as eating and drinking every day. It's something that's a daily occurrence. And in order to do the will of the Father, it's important to know what the will of the Father is. And we find it by reading and digesting his word. It's important. It's crucial. May I ask you another question? Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Do you believe it to be, as Paul says, it's God-breathed, God-inspired, infallible? Because the moment that you compromise on this in your faith, your faith will have no grip. Your faith will be sliding, like sliding all over the place, like trying to walk on a frozen lake. It's important that you lace on those shoes on, of the gospel of peace. It's important that you stand firm in the gospel, which brings you peace with God. That your faith is rooted in the word of God. It's for your own protection. You know, we must also protect the message of the gospel. I cannot underline this next sentence enough. Satan detests the gospel of peace. He hates it with all his heart. He hates it because it's the power of God on the salvation for those who believe. He knows, Satan knows, that no gospel means no salvation. Ever since the days of Jesus Christ, up until this present day, there have been many attempts made to sideline the gospel, to water it down, to add to it, to make it of no effect whatsoever. So much so that Paul in his letter to the church at Galatia stresses, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have ever preached, let him be accursed. Paul is saying, if I come to you even and I preach another gospel or an angel comes and preaches to you another gospel than the gospel that we've done before you now, then let me be cursed. Because no gospel, you see, means no salvation. Are you willing to stand for the gospel of peace, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the miracles, the death, the resurrection, the saving work of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us in verse 18 that we need to be watchful. We need to be alert. But Peter says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch, stand fast in the faith. Put the Roman soldier's footwear on. Prepare yourself for the battle by soaking yourself in the message of the gospel and the word of God. It's your own protection. Knowing the gospel and understanding what it means 
preparing, equipping yourself that in that evil day you can stand. That you're able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He doesn't care how he trips you up as long as he trips you up. He can come one time as a roaring lion ready to attack you. Another time he can come as your best bait. On one time he may come to you casting doubts and trying to undermine the scriptures. Another time he may come quoting the scriptures to you like he did with Jesus. One time he may tell you that you're not good enough to be a Christian. Another time he might say to you that you're so good that you don't need salvation. Prepare, equip yourself in the gospel. Don't just be a believer, but be a disciple on a journey with God, a learner, a student of Christ. And of course, this doesn't just apply to understanding the gospel, but it should overflow into how we live for Christ a desire to do his will in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, every day of our lives. James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does what? The Father's will. You know, it's down to our feet again, isn't it? We can claim that Christ has my heart, but does he have my faith? Is my faith seen in the reality of how I live my life? In the places I go, in the things I do, in how I treat other people. In chapter 5 in Ephesians, Paul's speaking of people just like you and me. He says, you were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's a life change. Don't go back to your old ways, Paul says. Verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 17, understand what the Lord's will is. And once you've understood it, then you can do it in his strength. Someone once said, read the word of God and let the word of God read you. Let the word of God penetrate in you to guide how you live your life according to his will. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And Lord, there's nothing, there's no battle that he, that, that, that we will face in temptation, Lord, that he has not already faced. We thank you that we don't go into this battle in our own strength because we'd fail, but it's in Christ's strength. It's in his righteousness. It's in his words. It's in the gospel that he's laid out that grows from Calvary. And it's in that strength of the Holy Spirit that we have victory over the enemy. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would guide us this week. Just put these things upon our hearts. Help us, Father, to go beyond being believers into stepping forward into being students of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know the gospel and to stand firm in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to finish with stand up, stand up for Jesus.
Sorry, folks, I forgot the collection. <laughs> so if I can ask Karen just to play something, just, and we'll take the offering, and then I'll say the benediction. <laughs> Sorry. offerings and tithes this morning, Lord, that you might use them in your service. And uh, in Jesus' name, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.